Welcome to the latest episode of our podcast series for advisors considering the independent space. Today's episode is Back to Basics on Leadership, Business Management, and Succession, a conversation with Ben Harrison, Managing Director for Advisor Solutions at BNY Mellon's Pershing. I'm Mindy Diamond, and this is Mindy Diamond on Independence. podcast is available on our website, diamond-consultants.com and on advisorhub.com, as well as Apple Podcasts and other major podcast platforms. If you are not already a subscriber and want to be notified of new show releases, please subscribe right on your favorite podcast platform or on the episode page on our website. And if you find the content in this series to be useful and know others who could benefit from it, please feel free to share it widely. Over the last few episodes, we've had the honor of hearing from independent firm owners who shared not only their breakaway stories, but also how being independent has been beneficial in helping them navigate the crisis that even as of this recording, we're all still working our way through. And while these advisors are on the front lines of managing both their businesses and client expectations, it's the custodians that are working in the background to provide the support these business owners need to successfully build and grow regardless of the economic climate. So what are custodians doing to support their RIAs in a time of tremendous uncertainty and instability? What are they hearing from their advisors? And how will this crisis impact the independent space going forward? To answer those questions and more, I've asked Ben Harrison, the Managing Director for Advisor Solutions at BNY Mellon's Pershing, to join the show. On June 1st of this year, Ben will replace retiring industry icon Mark Tiburgian as the head of Pershing's RIA custody unit. While Ben has pretty big shoes to fill, there's no doubt that he's up for the task having run the firm's business development and relationship management for many years. Yet he's stepping in at a truly unique and interesting time. Aside from being in the midst of an unprecedented global crisis, the race to zero amongst custodians and the Schwab TD Ameritrade merger are still brewing in the background. I'm excited to hear his take on the impact of the crisis on the independent space and the wealth management industry at large, plus get a glimpse of what Pershing Advisor Solutions will look like under his direction. So let's jump right in. Ben, thank you so very much for joining me. Well, it's great to be with you this morning, Mindy. Thanks. So let's jump in. Tell us a little bit about your background, if you would, and how it led you to the top job at Pershing Advisor Solutions. Sure. Well, I've been really fortunate throughout my career, Mindy, and I've actually been able to kind of ride the wave of this emerging sector in the marketplace. I've been in the RIA business my entire career. I started back at Waterhouse Securities in the late 90s. My first job was in the RIA unit and it was opening the mail. And from there, I uh, went into service as well as into sales. And I spent the first uh, seven years of my career at a combination of Waterhouse and TD Ameritrade. And then that led me to Pershing. I started at Pershing in 2006, 
here in the metro New York City area as a business development officer. And I did that for five years. And then I was fortunate enough to be asked to move out to the West Coast. And uh, I ran the business development team on the West Coast out of San Francisco for three years. And then Mark Tabersian asked me to move back east to take on the business development and relationship management role nationally. And I've done that for the last five years. So it's been quite a run and I've had the privilege of working for Mark for really the last uh, almost 13 years. Yeah. So I want to get to Mark Tabersian, a name that probably needs little introduction to anyone, but you are set to assume the role, the top job to replace Mark, retiring Mark on June 1st. But I want to first just give our listeners some perspective about Pershing. So with about $800 billion in RIA assets as of the end of 2019, just remind us how BNY Mellon's Pershing differentiates itself from its other major competitors like Fidelity, Schwab, and soon to be Schwab TD. Sure. So the first thing I'll say, Mindy, is we've got a tremendous amount of respect for our competitors. And this is a business in which we are all in this together in terms of really supporting the registered investment advisor community. And like I said, we've got a a, a tremendous amount of respect. The difference between our business and some of our key competitors is this is our core business. We are in the business of serving financial intermediaries. It's all that BNY Mellon and Pershing do. So there's a tremendous amount of alignment with our clients, and we're really the only major custodian without a retail channel. So everything that we do in terms of designing our service model, our technology platform is really in the alignment of powering the advisory businesses on our platform. High-touch client experience is another area that's extraordinarily important. Many of the retail competitors have, you know, kind of taken a playbook out of the retail call center approach, and we are different. We've got a high-touch client-centric type of model, dedicated experience, and we know that registered investment advisory firms really want that high-touch service. Depth and breadth of capabilities is one of those things that is unmatched at our firm. We're part of BNY Mellon, the largest global custody bank in the world. So it's really hard for a firm to outgrow the capabilities that we bring to the marketplace. So that kind of sets the foundation of how we differentiate in the market. Yeah. So how many RIAs do you service? Do you currently support? And what does the typical RIA look like that comes under your umbrella? Yeah, we have about 700 RIA firms on our platform, and the average assets is over a billion dollars. Obviously, averages can be deceiving. We absolutely have firms that are smaller than that, and we have some monster firms in there that that skew the averages. However, what's important to know is our optimal client is a growth-minded, professionally managed firm that serves clients with complex financial lives. So it's really about the alignment with the types of firms and the attributes of those firms that we're interested to work with, and likewise, the way that they align with our business. Yeah. But that 700 RIA firms under the Pershing umbrella makes it much smaller than its competitors, certainly Fidelity and Schwab. What do you think the reasons are that an advisor, what's the benefit, I guess is a better way of saying it, to a breakaway who's considering going RIA for the first time and vetting custodians? What is the benefit of 
being a client of Pershing's as opposed to one of the others, the larger ones? Sure. Well, numbers can be deceiving. So while we may be smaller in terms of the number of RIA firms that we serve, we're actually the third largest in terms of assets under custody and administration. So with those 700 firms, we've got $800 billion worth of assets under custody. So the firms tend to be larger, a little bit more complex. And it's really that type of alignment that as teams within the wirehouse channel are contemplating providers. It's really about knowing how they're going to be served if they want a dedicated high-touch service model. Uh, We have the ability, because we have less firms on our platform, to probably have a little bit of a better ratio of service individuals to firms on our platform. And you're a bigger fish in a smaller pond in terms of numbers of firms on the platform. But again, the size of the firms tends to be markedly higher. Got it. So I want to talk with you about Mark DeBergen, as we mentioned, but we are recording this smack in the middle of our nationwide stay-at-home orders, and it's a whole different world than it was a month ago. So I want to focus for a minute a little bit on the crisis at hand. So first of all, what are some of the things that Pershing is doing to support its RAA clients who are right in the thick of comforting clients and managing volatile markets? Yeah, thanks for that, Mindy. And you're right, we're we're in unprecedented times and we're all adjusting to this. I'm coming to you uh, here this morning from my home office and Pershing has, you know, really moved to a work from home environment very quickly over the last month in order to support our clients. So the first thing that we've really done for RIAs on our platform is really be there for them in this time of uncertainty. It's really around making sure that they have connectivity to our systems, to our service teams, the power and strength of BNY Mellon as our parent company in times of uncertainty is absolutely a benefit. We are one of eight systemically important banks and the resiliency and stability of our systems is something that we measure and test constantly and are held to a very high standard from the regulatory authorities to ensure that we can be there to process business in uh, times of the most volatile market scenarios in the business. So the first thing that we've done is just really ensure that our people are safe that we enacted our business continuity plan very early in the process, moved everybody to a remote environment. And the feedback that we've heard from clients is it's as if they didn't even know that we were in our offices anymore. So there has been definitely a good feeling from clients that they're well served. And that's the first thing that we did is really focus on the tactical elements. Got it. So it seems to me that the ability to work remotely, the continuity plan, and the seamless connectivity is should be at least price of admission. And I don't mean in any way to say that to diminish what you've done, but I would assume Fidelity and Schwab would be saying the same thing. So what are the kinds of things that you are doing to support your RAA clients now in the midst of crisis? And I guess another way of saying it is, I'm sure you're hearing from a lot of your clients on a regular basis. What are they asking you for? What kind of things do they need right now that they may not have needed before? 
Yeah. I think that we would tend to agree that being able to enact a business continuity plan and operate in a fully remote environment should be absolutely uh, table stakes. What we found is not all firms are equal in the way that they're able to operate. Luckily for registered investment advisors, they've actually been able to adapt very significantly because these firms were founded on cloud-based technologies. They don't have the infrastructure challenge of some of the large firms in the business connecting into mainframes, et cetera. So we found our clients to be very resilient. So that's terrific. So the first thing that they needed to do is obviously get themselves to a remote environment too. And they've been able to do that extraordinarily well. What they've asked us for is really some of the things that we were doing anyway, in terms of the whole digitization of the business. So they want to be able to do as much with us in a digital forum. They want to be able to open accounts using e-signature and deposit checks mobily and process their business in many different ways to be able to serve their clients. And uh, we've been able to do that for them effectively. We've actually seen the amount of training that firms have entered into in terms of learning how to do e-signature and all of the tools that we provide from a digital basis go up tenfold in terms of those firms that are really embracing this now. They're also looking to us to help them think through navigating the next phase of how they can really align their business for growth on the other side of this. So firms that have embraced digital are absolutely set up to take advantage of the marketplace. But the marketplace has changed. Our world has changed. And they depend on us as thought leaders as well to help them think through their plans for future growth and how they can acquire new clients and serve their clients more effectively in this new normal uh, that we're going to be living in for quite a period of time. You know, I think you bring up a good point. The role of the custodian, absent the crisis, has really changed over time and gone from one of just providing safe asset custody to really being a partner and a thought leader in helping them strategize is one of the major roles that they play. That actually brings me to a question I've been thinking about. And we've been talking with a lot of wirehouse advisors who make up a lot of our listener base who tell us they sort of fall into two camps in terms of their feedback about what kind of partner their firms have been throughout this crisis. Literally 50% of the people say to us, our firm has been wonderful. They have really given us the support we need to work remotely. We have all of the guidelines and the thought leadership and the research and everything we need in order to really navigate this. And the other 50% said, you know, our firm has really disappointed us. The leadership is hollow. There are limitations on the way we can communicate and we weren't really set up to work remotely and it wasn't quite so seamless and all of that. But we contrast that sort of 50-50 to the feedback we've been getting from the RIAs and those, the people that are already independent. And the number one thing 100% of them share with us is that it is the ability to communicate with flexibility, speed to market from idea generation to execution, the nimbleness to communicate via many different modalities from video to podcast to webinar to social media to emails to phone calls to everything in between. 
So I'm wondering what you're hearing from your clients. Would you agree with that, that the ability to communicate creatively, if you will, is probably one of the greatest benefits for an RIA or an independent in a crisis like this? And what are some of the creative things you're hearing that your clients are doing in order to not only nurture relationships, but eventually grow them? 100% agree on that one, Mindy, and we're hearing the same thing from our clients. So as I just mentioned, the first element of that was that RIAs operate with a very flexible technology stack. So they're able to operate on cloud-based systems, get their employees working remotely, and process the oncoming daily client inquiries, et cetera. Uh, Then from a communication standpoint, we have seen unprecedented levels of communication from clients to their end clients in a lot of creative ways. So everything from email and getting it out fast. I mean, you raise a great point. We've seen this in firms that we've talked to as well, that in order for Uh, some advisors within the major wires to get approval to send clients uh, communications, et cetera. They were, you know, kind of in this bureaucratic backlog of what can we say, what can't we say at a point in time where investors really need to hear from their advisors in multiple channels. So we've seen unprecedented level of communications to investors across all mediums, email, video, social media, as you mentioned, independent firms have been able to you know move with that agility and urgency and they've been able to host conference calls and direct to investor type of connectivity one thing that's really interesting is we actually you know taking a look at the march data in our asset allocation We've seen tremendous volumes at Pershing in terms of rebalancing and trading across the board, but our segment of the advisory business in terms of overall asset allocation changed very little. A little enhancement, more money in cash, a little drawdown in equity, but for the vast majority of it, it was held steady and advisors weren't panic selling. So they really were communicating with their clients and saying, you know, we're in this for the long run. Uh, We're not a trading business. We'll rebalance. We'll take advantage of the ability to do some tax loss harvesting, but we're going to stay the course. And and you can, so you can kind of see that communication draw through to the asset allocation that we've seen in our book of business. Yeah. Well, smart and good to hear that they're sticking to their knitting and they're not losing sight of that. Okay, let's pivot back to your new role or your soon-to-be new role at Pershing and the big shoes you're filling. So I myself learned so much from interacting with Mark DeBergian over the years. And just by way of introduction for anyone not familiar, Mark has been one of the best and smartest industry thought leaders. He's run Pershing Advisor Solutions, the RIA channel for Pershing for more than a decade and done extraordinary things in his tenure there. How lucky for you, I guess is the best way to put it, to get to learn from the master all these years. What would you say are the most impactful lessons he taught you? Right, Mindy. Well, I just echo that. I've been so fortunate to work uh, so closely with Mark, uh, really 
over the last decade. Um, and he's been such a great mentor to me and friend. Uh, and I've learned so many lessons from Mark through the years. I've got to ride sidecar with him on so many meetings, you know, internal meetings, meetings with prospects, meetings with teams that were contemplating a new business model. And I've even walked through countless airports or conferences with Mark and have people stop him along the way. And this is the way the conversation would go. You might not remember me, but you consulted with us 10 years ago and we completely changed our business model and it's changed my life. So he really had an impact on the industry and, and he'll continue to. I think a couple of the teachings that he's taught me are around leadership, absolutely, running the team, uh, around business management. You know, Mark was a pioneer of really bringing business management to the RIA uh, marketplace. Around people management, Mark's great people manager and uh, a great delegator. And he really depended upon his team and also business uh, consulting and, and everything that we've come to know about, you know, kind of Mark's expertise. But I'd say the number one thing I would take away is that you need to put people first. And, you know, from day one, we were always partners. Mark never introduced anybody on his team that, that they worked for him. It was always, this is my colleague, Ben, or my uh, colleague, uh, Christina. And that really allowed us to run the day-to-day. -day. Uh, he delegated very well. And, um, you know, he was a big personality. And we needed that big personality and credibility as we built out our RIA custody business uh, to, this, to this point. But putting people first was the biggest lesson. Um, and he always said that the, the most important employee is more important than the most important client. And that's not to diminish clients. And this is the same for advisory businesses. But in order to have an enduring business, you've got to take care of the people first in your business so that they can then take care of the clients. And uh, that was a really important lesson that I'll never forget. Yeah. And a good one. But let me unpack some of the, the things I know he's espoused um, over the years. So one of the first lessons he taught me was that a loan is the cheapest form of financing and a firm shouldn't sell equity unless there are good reasons to do so. And I think that at a time when there are so many investors in the space and every day principals of RIA firms are getting calls from would-be investors asking them to sell a portion of equity, whether it means they're, they're sort of mid-cycle of their business or they're just breaking away and they're considering, do I go it alone or do I take on an investor, sell a portion of equity as a way of, of taking some chips off the table up front? So what do you think about that? What's your stance on that? The first thing I would say, I agree with Mark, and I and I think what he would say, which I agree with too, is every situation is different. There's definitely pros and cons of both debt and equity financing. And again, going back to what I already stated, you know, Mark has been masterful at kind of bringing these business management concepts to this entrepreneurial RIA industry, um, and that's embedded in in our firm now from the way that we think about uh, things from our relationship management and business consulting. 
teams. So yeah, equity tends to be more expensive, but there's so many new sources of capital coming into the marketplace. This business is so revered right now, and that's why we're seeing all this outside capital come in. With equity, you give up control to shareholders and you give up profits to shareholders. And and that's in perpetuity of time. And that's something that Mark always talked about. And I, and I definitely agree with when you do want equity stakeholders in your business. Another lesson that I learned is equity stakeholders always have to buy in. You shouldn't use equity to just give away to in recruiting situations. The equity stakeholders have to have skin in the game. It's a great tool for succession. So Mark is also the you know kind of the godfather of succession in this business and that was an important lesson that I learned too that equity as a part of an emerging partner's ability to buy in over time creates that succession plan and gives them skin in the game of of the business. And if you are going to bring in outside capital, they've got to bring something to the table whether it's intellectual capital, a network that you can't get to ability to drive growth, et cetera. So you've got to be really careful about that. Yeah. On the other side, I'll just say on the other side of debt, you know, debt can be a really important tool as well. You maintain control. You don't give up the profits. But for new businesses, it's a little tougher during the early stages to borrow a lot of capital when you don't have significant cash flow. The advisory business is unique because in many cases, you have cash flow right out of the gate because you've got advisory fees that you're billing. So this is a really, really cool business from that perspective. Yeah. So the other major lesson, and you said it, that Mark is really known for, that he really highlighted in the industry, is advocating for professional management, for professionalizing the industry as a whole and RIA firms individually. Can you just share quickly what his philosophy was about that? Sure. So in his philosophy is very much aligned with our strategy at Pershing, which is, and that's why we always say when we uh, define our optimal client that we want to work with growth-minded, professionally managed businesses. And the fact of the matter is in order to have an enduring business, you need to run a financial advisory practice or business as if it is a 100-year business. In fact, that's how clients should want to be served. So it's all about uh, an environment to be able to have a redundancy in everything that you do, the ability to invest in your business and continue to not just take the uh, profits from the business, but to invest back into the business so that you can build a better client experience, technology experience, get to different products and services for your clients. But really having an adept uh, ability to manage to a bottom line and to create succession and longevity of your business is so important when you think about what you're doing and investors, which is giving them confidence to set a plan in place to have a goal to meet their financial needs and to be there throughout all stages of of the life cycle. So that's a really important element and one of the reasons why there's been such a focus on running this as a business rather than a lifestyle practice. Yeah, I think that's key. I think in general, that lesson has really, really translated into the whole, we can see evidence of it in the whole industry. 
that even a, an, a wirehouse advisor or an advisor that has worked as an employee of a firm, it's that paradigm shift of, of beginning to think of their business as a business that has made people really, I think it's what's driven a lot of the breakaway movement is the notion that when people think I can move from one firm to another and get paid a traditional transition deal, and as aggressive as it is, I still don't own anything. I don't own my employees. I don't own my revenue. I don't even own my clients versus thinking of my business as a business. And I may get less upfront or maybe not anything upfront, but I'm building an enterprise for the long term. So I hear you. You talk about this all the time, Mindy, and we really enjoy following uh, your guidance as well about enterprise value and how business owners should think about their long-term enterprise value and equity that they have in their business and how that's an asset for generations and uh, so important to think about. If you would, Ben, I'd love to change gears to more industry-wide topics, because while we're in the midst of a crisis, we're also in the midst of some major mega shifts in within the industry as a whole. So wondering what your thoughts are on the race to zero, the, and that is the custodian's race to zero on fees. Sure. So this is a really interesting topic right now, especially in a zero interest rate environment. So the whole notion around zero for equities and ETFs, which we know is nothing of value is ever free. It was really a transition and the kind of behind the scenes on this, we really believe it was a retail play and it was really just transitioning the way investors pay for services away from ticket charges for equities and ETFs to cash spreads. So the way that the firms would make money was on the cash balances of the client accounts rather than in a transparent model of charging for tickets. So it's been an interesting evolution. There's a ton of disruption in the marketplace right now. We think the disruption creates opportunity for us. And we had the opportunity to take a slightly different uh, view on that because we don't have a retail business. So it allowed us to study the marketplace and uh, listen to clients. And what we found is clients really wanted choice. They wanted choice to be able to use a variety of cash management solutions that provided yield. And they also want the fact that they're looking at the total cost of ownership of a portfolio rather than just equities and ETFs. So we've come out with some disruptive pricing if you want zero, we can do that. And we can do that just like any of the other custodians do uh, by utilizing a uh, single bank sweep cash product. But we also have other choices that allow for higher yield cash and a innovative subscription-based model. So we're trying to take a forward-looking view of where the market is going. We know investors want more transparency. We know that they want lower fee access to products and solutions. And we know that they want solutions other than just equities and ETFs, including fixed income, uh, alternatives, mutual funds, and other investments. So we're in the early innings right now of what the long-term economics are going to look like in this business. And what are you hearing from your clients and your prospects around this sort of creative or flexible pricing plan? Yeah, I mean, we hear very favorable feedback in terms of, you know, having options. So we talk a lot of the fact about the fact, you know, it's all about alignment, choice, and transparency. And that's where we have uh, chosen to 
put our stake in the ground. So it's been very positive. I can tell you, though, in the current environment that we're in right now, Mindy, that back to basics around strength, stability, and resiliency is at the forefront. I mean, in a 10-year bull run, people start to lose sight of the fact that there were some major financial institutions back in 2008 that went out of business. And when uh, you get into a point of high volatility when people are worried about their health and their finances, they're not looking for the lowest cost option. They're looking for the player that is going to be resilient, that's going to not go down in high volatile days. And it just kind of goes back to nothing of value is ever free. Yeah, that's fair. What about the consolidation in the industry? We've seen consolidation at the advisor level, particularly with independent broker-dealers. Of course, two major M&A transactions with some of your competitors between Schwab and TD and then Morgan Stanley's acquisition of E-Trade, the Goldman Sachs acquisition of United Capital. What's your perspective on these deals? Are they positive or negative for the industry as a whole? And how is Pershing responding? Any plans to acquire as well? What are some of the thoughts? Yeah. So uh, I think generally we see this as a tremendous opportunity for our firm and these trends are reaffirming our strategy on a couple of fronts. If we look at the M&A environment at the wealth management level, such as Goldman Sachs acquiring United Capital or even the rise of deals that we see you know, it's, we've had a record uh, deal volume in this business for wealth management practices over the last five years. Everybody wants to be in the advice business. The advice business is um, a very coveted fee stream. Uh, it's one of the areas that we haven't seen fee compression in the advisor fees. So that's driving capital. And, you know, even in this environment, I think that we're going to see a slowdown in MA in the RIA segment, but it's not going to be for long. We're going to see that come back pretty aggressively, you know, so that's not going to slow down. On the platform perspective and kind of our competitors, we really view that as uh, those consolidations. Again, we're kind of leaning towards wealth management or direct to retail. I don't think that what we're seeing is these firms necessarily acquiring businesses for the custody business. The custody business tends to be uh, lower margin lower profitability business. It's it's all that we do and we're the largest player in the in the business. So that's what we do really well and we love that business. But if you look at those other deals, they're really retail driven. They're about capturing direct to retail clients. And again, that kind of validates our strategy of being the brand behind the brand, helping advisory firms compete with those entities that really want to go direct to retail and be the wealth management provider themselves. Yeah. And what are your thoughts about the breakaway movement in general post-crisis? Do you think that more advisors, more employee advisors will seek independence? You know, you talk about a more flexible tech stack. We talked about the ability to communicate more freely. Do you think that this will drive more in that direction or will more folks feel safer being under the auspices of an all-in-one-place turnkey firm with a brand like a Morgan Stanley or a Merrill Lynch or something of the sort. I actually think that this crisis that we're in right now is showing the resiliency of so many firms, of 
all shapes and sizes. And one of the tactics over the years has been, if you start your own firm, you're not going to have as strong compliance uh, controls or cybersecurity, et cetera. And that's just proven to not be the case. And what we've seen is these boutique registered investment advisory firms are able to be very nimble. Uh, they've got very strong capabilities to be resilient and flexible to work in multiple offices and work from home and type of environments. So I think that that was kind of a test uh, case. And I think that we'll come out of this showing that that test case is, is fine. I think that what you alluded to earlier around uh, the way that people want to operate and communicate with their clients, I mean, that's not going away. I absolutely believe that we're going to see a continued increase of the amount of teams that want to operate their own business. They want control. They want uh, the ability to control the client experience, the communication experience, utilize social media, utilize digital tools. And that's only been amplified and accelerated with this crisis that we're in. Not to mention, everybody's working from home and able to do a little research and listen to your podcasts uh, during this time. So I think on the other side of this, I mean, we're seeing it in our business. We've still got a number of teams that we're talking to. They're planning uh, launching and there's no slowdown in sight. Yeah. Well, actually, it's funny. We're finding the same. And I think the answer is that if someone has entrepreneurial DNA that is not being satisfied as an employee, you can't squelch that. And so there will be some folks who will need a wealth replacement strategy or where capital may be an issue, and they may choose instead to either stay as an employee or move for a transition package. But the decidedly entrepreneurial that are wanting independence for the right reasons to build enterprise value, to be able to communicate more freely, to service clients better without limitation, are not going to be stopped. We're finding the same. A couple other questions. You know, I want to go back to something you said. You mentioned a little earlier in this conversation that countless times you'd be walking through a hallway or an airport or a conference with Mark and somebody would stop him and say, you know, you may not remember me, but you gave me advice to change my business model years ago. What do you think they meant? What do you think some of the most profound things were that they were referring to, the changes that they made on Mark's suggestion? Sure. Uh, Many of those types of stories were around thinking through what a business looks like from a human capital strategy to maybe contemplating a succession plan, perhaps selling a business or merging with another business or acquiring businesses. So those are the types of uh, things around business management and structure, people, profits, process, having a discipline around measuring the financials within your business and benchmarking that to what other firms are doing and tweaking what you do so that you can become more profitable and have a better per client revenue mix model. Uh, Those are the types of things that were very important uh, to those individuals. And, you know, I think that's where they were commenting that Mark helped them. All right. So we already talked about the big shoes you're going to be stepping into. And, you know, we talk often about beginning with the end in mind. So what is the impact you, Ben Harrison, would most like to make and the legacy you'd like to leave on Pershing? 
Sure. So the, I mean, I guess the ultimate goal for me is that we want to be a t- the top player in the space. We're not in any business that we w- don't want to be a dominant player. And the strategy and direction doesn't change from where we've come from. We continue to double down on the strengths and our key differentiators and invest in our business. We're going to continue to support growth-minded RIAs on their growth journey. We're also going to expand our addressable market a bit, Mindy. And, you know, under Mark's leadership, we've really focused on that ultra high-end advisory team. And we're absolutely shifting and we've got scale and we're able to absolutely expand our addressable market. And there's a lot of disruption in the marketplace right now. So a firm with $100 million, $200 million, $300 million is in our crosshairs now as an optimal client for us. So that's a little bit of a shift. Another thing that I want to continue to do is leverage our enterprise. We've got so many capabilities, and we talked about this earlier, the depth and breadth of capabilities that BNY Mellon and Pershing bring to the marketplace is hands down more capabilities than any of our competitors. We just have to unlock more of those and all work collaboratively towards one unified goal. So, I mean, I don't aspire to be a famous personality in this space. You know, we'll leave that to Mark, but I would like to be known for, you know, building a strong team around me and bringing together our company to collectively share in the opportunity that this segment uh, provides. The RAA segment, the wealth management business is just such a great place place to be right now. And it's going to continue to be. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I'm excited, Ben, not only about the prospects for wealth management in general, for the RIA space in general, and for Pershing specifically, but excited to see what kind of changes and what positive impact you have and look forward. Hopefully we can continue the conversation once you've settled into the new role and, uh, and you know, really begun to take things over. Absolutely. Thank you, Mindy. You're welcome. Pleasure. We are so grateful for Ben's time and perspective, especially in the midst of this unprecedented crisis. Pershing's goal to become the dominant player in the space and to expand its addressable market is a goal that's beneficial to advisors who are considering their options and selecting a custodian who will be a partner in their success. I thank you for listening. And I encourage you to visit our website, diamond-consultants.com and click on the tools and resources link for valuable content. You'll also find a link to subscribe for regular updates to the series. And if you're not a recipient of our weekly email, Perspectives for Advisors, click on the blog link to browse recent articles. These written pieces are an ideal way to stay informed about what's going on in the wealth management space without expending the energy that full-on exploration may require. Feel free to email or call me if you have specific questions. I can be reached at 908 879-1002 or these days on my cell at 973-476-8578 or always by email mdiamond at diamond-consultants.com. Please note that all requests are handled with complete discretion and confidentiality. And again, if you enjoyed this episode, feel free to share it with a colleague who might benefit from its content. 
And a special thanks to AdvisorHub.com for sharing this podcast with your viewers and subscribers. This is Mindy Diamond on Independence.